Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. I'm glad you joined us today because today's message is vital to understanding where we are in the stream of time. We are living in a time of great uncertainty and fear. The world has no workable solution to the conflict of war. The globalists have their plan, which is not in the best interests of nations or people. And they want to manipulate the world into the new world order. The economic reset was only just the beginning. And the ruling elites and globalists have caused a lot of bloodshed to achieve their goals. The Bible has a few unsavory words for them, which we will get to in a moment. But there is a larger and more potent enemy behind the scenes. Today our message is especially important because it represents the playing out of prophecy in the Bible in a dramatic way. Our little booklet on Daniel 2, entitled The History of Tomorrow, Some Things Never Change, is more relevant than ever. Please get yourself some copies to hand out. They're quite inexpensive. And you can call our office at 540-672-3553. And Last Generation Magazine is, has recently gone to press with a new edition of its Mark of the Beast issue. The first print run was so successful that people are asking for, and even demanding, a reprint. They have gone to press with an order for 180,000 copies. They are doing a print run this large because paper is becoming difficult to get. Who knows when they will be unable to do any more copies again. So get yourself a quantity of them today. That way you'll have them on hand when a situation arises to which you can minister with a magazine. Call 540 672-3100 and ask for Last Generation Magazine. Now let us pray. Our Father, heaven must be aghast at the disregard for human life. And Satan loves war so that he can sweep large portions of the population into crisis graves. Please, Lord, we Teach us today as we study this important topic and prepare us for whatever is coming, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 21, 25, and 26. These familiar words describe the world today. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, 
men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Are we getting near this time? Now let us read from Education, page 179. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Friends, Jesus is coming very soon. I believe Satan has been given permission to ratchet up the intensity of his war with Christ to a new level in this world. We are living in serious times. We must come out of all false systems of religion. The end game of the great controversy is approaching very rapidly, and people, including God's people, are distracted with lies, many lies. And the lies are on all sides. In fact, the enemy is using the division to escalate the conflict and accomplish his purposes. Remember, he hates liberty, and he's doing everything he can to destroy it and bring the nations and the people into bondage. He is seeking to infiltrate everywhere. Heaven will eventually give him full permission to bring chaos upon the world. Another Bible declaration comes to mind. Turn with me to Revelation 12, 12, which says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Satanic fury is only the beginning, so to speak. We will see much more as time goes on. He is fomenting war on every side. War is but a granular extension of the cosmic war. It brings great trouble upon the world, and Satan loves it because he can send many people to their graves without Christ. But this war is being used to accomplish more than that. Satan wants to bring the whole world together in his rebellion to Christ and thereby get control of God's people and pressure them to obey him instead of Christ. That's why he hates liberty so much, and that's why he is doing everything he can to remove it. He won't remove liberty to sin, but he will remove liberty to obey God. Many people are asking why this war with Russia and Ukraine is happening. They don't understand the purpose of killing so many people and creating such misery. What is the point, they ask? But those who understand Bible prophecy see much more in this than merely politics, money, or ambition. 
Vladimir Putin is implementing his strategy to dominate Ukraine, but he has a larger picture in mind. That picture goes back 1,000 years to the mid-10th century. Patriarch Kirill and Vladimir Putin believe in what is known as the Russian world ideology. Right up until the beginning of the full-fledged war against Ukraine and afterwards, Putin and Patriarch Kirill have used Russian world ideology as a principal justification for the invasion. The teaching states that there is a transnational Russian sphere or civilization called Holy Rus or Holy Russia, which includes Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and sometimes Moldova and Kazakhstan, as well as ethnic Russians and Russian-speaking people throughout the world. It holds that this Russian world has a common political center, Moscow, a common spiritual center, Kiev, as the mother of all Rus, a common language, Russian, a common church, the Russian Orthodox Church, Moscow Patriarchate, and a common patriarch, Patriarch Kirill of Moscow, who works in symphony with a common president or a national leader, that's Putin, to govern this Russian world, as well as upholding a common distinctive spirituality, morality, and culture. Against this Russian world, so the teaching goes, stands the corrupt West, led by the United States and Western European nations, which has capitulated to liberalism, globalization, Christianophobia, homosexual rights, and militant secularism. Over and against the West and those Orthodox who have fallen into schism and error, such as ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, and other local Orthodox churches that support him, stands the Moscow Patriarchate, along with Vladimir Putin, as the defenders of Orthodox teaching, which they view in terms of traditional morality, a rigorous and inflexible understanding of tradition, and veneration of Vladimir of Holy Russia. You can see that Patriarch Kirill and Vladimir Putin can use this ideology to justify military conquest to unite the various divisions and factions of orthodoxy. Putin began by annexing Crimea. Now Kirill has a leader in Putin who is strong enough and willing to bring Ukraine back into the fold and restore the spiritual center of Russian orthodoxy. Putin probably has ambitions, eventually, to restore the Byzantine Empire through conquest of other nations. This empire, however, would be based in Russia instead of Constantinople. In essence, this is a holy war, similar to the medieval wars of Roman Catholicism to consolidate her power.
Kirill and Putin do not want ethnic peoples to establish independent churches, which was condemned by the Council of Constantinople in 1872. In the 980s, the pagan prince Vladimir of Kiev consolidated the Rus people of modern-day Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine and enjoyed a single realm. When he found out about the glories of Christian Constantinople, Vladimir converted to their religion and brought his people into the Byzantine church through a mass baptism and married a Christian imperial princess. That's when Kiev became the common spiritual center of orthodoxy. He was eventually canonized as St. Vladimir, otherwise known as Vladimir the Great, and his memory is celebrated by Eastern Orthodox Christians, Catholics, Anglicans, and some Lutherans. In the 1200s, this unity was splintered by war, and the center of power shifted from Constantinople to Moscow and started the tension between Ukraine and Russia, which has lasted for centuries to this present day. Vladimir Putin and Patriarch Kirill have ambitions to resurrect this holy Russian empire in the east, just as Rome is ambitious to resurrect the Holy Roman Empire in the West. And they want to claim 1,000 years of history as their own. They even erected a statue of Vladimir outside the Kremlin. <clears throat> Putin may see himself as another great Vladimir, Vladimir II. So the war is actually a religious holy war. Putin is very close to Patriarch Kirill, who backs Putin in the war with Ukraine. Patriarch Kirill wants to unite the Ukrainian Orthodox Patriarchate with the Moscow Patriarchate. The Ukrainian Patriarchate views itself as independent and wants to remain that way. So Vladimir Putin has been picking off parts of the Patriarchate and reuniting them with the Moscow Patriarchate. First, he took Crimea. Now he's working on Ukraine, which is a far larger part of the Orthodox Church. In a rare speech before a packed stadium recently, Putin proclaimed that the Russian war in Ukraine was in defense of Christian values. Of course, he dressed it up with propaganda and falsehoods, but the real core of his course of action has to do with the Orthodox Church. He even referenced Scripture in his speech in March. He said, and this is where the words of Scripture come to my mind. There is no greater love than if someone gives his soul for his friends. The variation of John fifteen thirteen. So Putin claims that the war is because of love and that the people in Ukraine need to be liberated from the thraldom of the West and its corruptions. He claims the Nazi regime is committing genocide in Ukraine, but the real issue is something more significant. The war is actually an attempt 
to recreate a Christian imperial state by uniting political, economic, and spiritual power into an entity that will control the earthly and heavenly destiny of the people that live in their territory. It is a new vision of an old tale. Though Putin denies it, as he denies many things, which he later does, he has ambitions beyond Ukraine. While Western evangelicals are dreaming of a Christian internationalism as the basis of their political and spiritual authority, Russian Orthodoxy is essentially doing the same thing in its territory of influence. They all have the same purpose, to oppose three enemies, decadent secularism, a rising China, and Islam. And Satan has a common purpose for them all as well, the removal of liberty and freedom of worship, and the uniting of all peoples in rebellion to God's truth and his law. The difficulty in translating the vision to reality has been with Roman Catholicism. Rome wants to ultimately dominate both narratives. The Catholic Church has its own version of medieval control. It is working to place itself in the position to be recognized as the mediator of peace and the controller of the whole Christian political narrative. It also fits in with the New World Order and globalism, which is seeking to do something similar— remove liberty, and control the economic destiny of nations and peoples. But this is only a limited vision, though it is very ambitious and a very large concept. It needs religion to fill its prophetic destiny. So orthodoxy and Catholicism are two tandem visions of the world that synchronize with the global elites who want to control the world economy. The Roman Catholic vision wants to control more than just the economic destiny of the world. They want to control the world's spirituality. Every man, woman, and child will be under their control. They provide the spiritual element of global control, just as the Bible prophecy declares. The Orthodox Roman Catholic split dates back to the 11th century. Roman Catholicism has been attempting to heal that schism for a long time, but now it is reported that in spite of the warming relationships between Catholics and the Russian Orthodox, which started in Havana, Cuba, Pope Francis' outreach to Patriarch Kirill since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine, has not been reciprocated. Kirill's support for Putin's invasion has not only created new ecumenical tensions, including criticisms of Kirill by high-ranking Vatican officials, for not denouncing Putin for starting the war. It also led to an unraveling among Russian Orthodox churches around the world, with a number of them completely disassociating themselves from Moscow altogether. 
Nevertheless, Pope Francis recently had a video conference with Patriarch Kirill, where they both pledged their respective commitments to securing peace. But while ever Kirill backs the war, how can he secure the peace, unless Russia has total victory? Francis told the Patriarch, We are pastors of the same holy people who believe in God, in the Holy Trinity, in the Holy Mother of God, and for this we must unite in the effort to help the peace, to help those who suffer, to seek ways of peace, to stop the fire. Similar to Catholicism, the Russian Orthodox Church is a sacral church, meaning that it views its territory as containing only one religion. All other religions are merely tolerated, which means that there is no true religious religious liberty. But it goes beyond the control of individual faith. It involves justifying aggression to conquer other nations for the church. This is similar to the aggression of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, especially through conquering nations for the Catholic Church. Ferdinand and Isabella, for example, tried to conquer the post-Reformation England. At the time, the Pope chose to ask Ferdinand, the ruler of Spain, to send his armada to fight the English and to bring the country back into the fold of the Catholic Church. He even offered him a large sum of money to do so. Of course, God overruled and England remained free. Muslims also see themselves as the only valid religion, and where they can, they persecute other faiths. This is very common in state-sponsored religions, and when the United States begins to act like a dragon and legislates religion or religious practices on behalf of religion, it too will persecute dissenting views. And we are well on the way to that reality. The Russian Orthodox Church is acting the same as the Catholic Church has for ages. Ultimately, the goal is to remove freedom to participate in other communions. The ecumenical movement which the Catholic Church leads overlays this policy. So when the Orthodox Church has subdued the nations to itself in the East, in what it sees as its territory, the Catholic Church aims to control it in the name of ecumenism. The current dispute about the independence of the Ukrainian Church goes back to 1991 when shortly after the fall of the Soviet communism, uh, Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople recognized the independence of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. This caused seismic reactions in the Russian Orthodox Church. Patriarch Kirill rejected the independence out of hand. He also severed ties with Constantinople and Patriarch Bartholomew. And the rancor has been simmering ever since. Why Putin and Kirill decided to attack Ukraine now and beat it into submission is not known except that Vladimir Putin 
recognize that America is now weak and will not defend Ukraine. After all, it has no obligation to do so through NATO or any other treaty or alliance. It is tired of wars in Afghanistan and other places. Plus, it fumbles and muddles with them. So, Putin sees that he can take advantage of a weak America and beat up on Ukraine, and perhaps other nations as well, bringing them into a larger Holy Russian Empire. In the Bible, prophetic types exist so that we can understand this aggression and the religious nature of globalization. It is the Tower of Babel all over again which was the first attempt at globalization, as well as Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, Greece, which gave us Greek culture, and Rome, which gave us the rule of law. All these principles are coming together in the new world order and will eventually be dominated by Roman Catholicism. That's essentially the essence of Daniel chapter 2. The only thing that will stop this process is the second coming of Christ. These global elites are the merchants of the earth, which we find in Revelation 18.3 and onward. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. These are in collaboration, and they are cooperating with Rome to make themselves exceedingly rich by controlling the economy of the world. The secular media can't see this, or don't want to see it, but they are also in league with Satan. The war is the result of this control, because war generates enormous profits for those who loan the money to make war happen. Isaiah 14 tells us that Satan instigates war. After describing Satan's ambition to control and dominate the throne of God, verse 16 tells us some very interesting things. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? How do you shake kingdoms? How do you make the earth to tremble? Satan, in his enmity to Christ, has caused all the wars and all the bloodshed in the history of the world. Some of them are more devastating than others, but all of them are evil. Russia is wiping some Ukrainian cities off the map and causing much untold suffering on the people. From the UK Independent, we read, Several small cities in Ukraine have simply been wiped off the face of the earth. The last time such destruction was in Europe was during World War II, Mr. Reznikov said. The Ukrainian defense minister highlighted the plight of Mariupol's 400,000 citizens who have been surrounded without food, water, light, air for three weeks. By one local estimate, as many as 20,000 people may have died so far in the besieged port city.
Notice Isaiah 14, 17, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. Satan is using war to destroy cities and make a wilderness of them. It will require many years to rebuild and restore the ruined cities of Ukraine. War makes a wilderness out of previously inhabited places. It also causes death and destruction, which imprisons people in their Christless graves. So war is part of the great controversy, and thereby it is religious in nature. But the religious nature is hidden behind the politics, which engage people's attention. The enemy carefully conceals his work by giving the people plenty of political controversy to occupy their minds with the war. He distracts and deceives them in order to hide the religious nature of war. Jesus prophesied that there would be wars at the end of time, but he says something else that is just as important that is often overlooked. Let's read in Matthew twenty four, six through eight. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Did you hear that? These are only the beginning of sorrows. There will be much more to come after these things, and the end is not yet. In fact, it is what the Bible says in Mark 13, 7. When ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. What things come after wars and pestilences and earthquakes? Matthew goes on to tell us of the bitter experience that God's people must go through. Matthew 24.10 says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Mark 13.9 adds, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the last few holdouts will be tested to the max as Jesus was tested. Some of them will fall away and be offended in this last intense conflict. But we should see persecution against Christ, not particularly against us. The war in Ukraine is not the end of all things. It is only the beginning of sorrows, and we should not be focused so much on the war and the politics of war. For Jesus said that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This is normal fare for the planet. 
increasingly under Satan's control. Our focus should be on preparation for religious persecution and hatred and for Jesus' return. Jesus told us what to expect. Luke twenty one seventeen, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. We should never lose that focus. War is a major sign of the times, but it is not the end. It is just telling us where we are. By the way, if you can't tolerate even a little criticism from the church members or leaders, or from your family, or from your society, how are you going to be able to withstand the hatred of all men? All men, not just a few. What are you going to do when you are hunted like wild animals and there's no place to hide? What are you going to do when you are blamed for major calamities and disasters that are occurring around you? War is going to be a major feature of the last days, and I wouldn't be surprised if this war in Ukraine escalates to a war that involves the whole world. I am going to read a statement from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, page 268. Notice the effect on God's true people. I was shown the inhabitants of the earth in the utmost confusion. War, bloodshed, privation, want, famine, and pestilence were abroad in the land. As these things surrounded God's people, they began to press together and cast aside their little difficulties. Self-dignity no longer controlled them. Deep humility took its place. Suffering perplexity and privation caused reason to resume the throne and the passionate and unreasonable man became sane and acted with discretion and wisdom did you notice how suffering perplexity and privation do some very important things for god's people reason resumed the throne in other words they were unreasonable we don't even understand our inner motives, but God does. He knows that to perfect his people, he needs to put them through the crucible to experience suffering and perplexity and want. It is actually for their own good. Then they will come into unity for which Christ prayed. I read on. My attention was then called from the scene. There seemed to be a little time of peace. Once more, the inhabitants of the earth were presented before me, and again everything was in the utmost confusion. Strife, war, and bloodshed, with famine and pestilence, raged everywhere. Other nations were engaged in this war and confusion. War caused famine. Want and bloodshed caused pestilence. And then men's hearts failed them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. The world is becoming more and more confused and fearful. And people will do very strange and dangerous things, especially when they are stressed by fear, hunger, and confusion. 
Many people will have reprobate minds. How do you get a reprobate mind? By watching evil on television or in movies, by playing violent video games, and by engaging in pornography and other evil things. People who have reprobate minds will do things that are very mean and unkind. The love of many shall wax cold. This, too, is being cultivated right now in society. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Don't think that this is temporary or a passing phase. It is training them for a worse time to come. Those that are under Satan's control will do his bidding, and one day it will be directed to a very different target to what it is right now. Right now it is woke cancel culture and hostility toward conservatives in general. But then it will be targeted against mainly God's people. The wicked, both liberal and conservative, will be very hateful. This is being cultivated now, and they can both be very easily whipped up into a mob against a perceived common enemy, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees against Christ. As time goes on, things will get worse and worse. Don't expect it to get back to normal. There will be more war and bloodshed. There will be more famine and deadly pestilences. There will be far more hatred and hostility and anger. And God's people will be pursued, imprisoned, left to perish, and even killed. Let me read from Great Controversy, page 629. The people of God will not be free from suffering, but while persecuted and distressed, they will endure privation and suffer for want of food. They will not be left to perish. That God who cared for Elijah will not pass by one of his self-sacrificing children. He who numbers the hairs of their head will care for them, and in the time of famine they will be satisfied. While the wicked are dying from hunger and pestilence, Angels will shield the righteous and supply their wants. To him that walketh righteously is the promise. Bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I the Lord will hear them, I the God of Israel will not forsake them. Isaiah 33, 15, 16, and 41, 17. So these things are in our future. We can expect suffering. Are you ready for that? The people in Ukraine are experiencing suffering already. And though everyone will suffer, including women and children, God's people will suffer differently. They will have the additional privilege to uphold the honor of God. Their life of sin will weigh upon them, and they will anguish with God for purity of heart and forgiveness. They will try to remember everything they have ever done that was not God's will, because they want to confess it. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 618 and 619. 
As Satan accuses the people of God on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. Their confidence in God, their faith and firmness will be severely tested. As they review the past, their hopes sink. For their whole lives they can see little good. They are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan endeavors to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes to destroy their faith, that they will yield to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. Job is a type of God's people in the last days in this regard. Satan accused God of protecting Job. He said that if God would remove his protection, Job would not be loyal. Job was very wealthy, and his family was very large. Let's read it in Job 1, 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so... When the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Notice that Job was an intercessor for his children. Do you think God's people will be an intercessor for others at the end of time? I hope you understand that. God will use you to intercede for some who will yet turn to God from among the wicked. He will put people in your path that need your intercession. Notice, too, that Job rose early in the morning to do his intercession. You have to be an early riser if you are going to talk to God, because when the day gets started, your mind is distracted by other things, and you can't concentrate on your time with God. Let's read on. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, All that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
So at the end of time, Satan will accuse God's people. He's ultimately accusing God of unfairly dealing with his people. And God will say, okay, you can test them. Make them suffer in the crucible and see that they will not be disloyal to me. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Do you think that at the end of time you will have your assets stolen by a mob of wicked men? Or maybe the government will confiscate your assets. Will you become bitter at God? The true followers of Christ will not complain or retaliate. Instead, they will forgive their oppressors. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Do you think it's possible that at the end of time God's people will suffer what appears to be the judgments of God? How will you react? While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And do you think that it is possible for your assets to be stolen from me more than once? Do you think it's possible that you will have your assets taken through subterfuge? While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And what if a tornado kills your children when they are having a birthday party, and they are all gathered together in one place? What did Job do when all these things happened to him at once? Did he curse God? Did he give up his faith? Did his loyalties change? Verse 20. Job didn't change his commitment to righteousness. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. Notice that he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What an example! When all around you seems like chaos and destruction of things very near and dear to your heart, Would you be as faithful as Job? God's people are subject to the raging controversy in the universe. 
it is beyond them to grasp it. Like Job, God allows Satan and make trouble for them. But God sustains them. Here is more from Great Controversy. Though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent on their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not the dread of persecution for the truth's sake. They fear that every sin is has not been repented of, and that through some fault in themselves they will fail to realize the fulfillment of the Savior's promise, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, Revelation 3.10. If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture or death. But should they prove unworthy and lose their lives because of their own defects of character, then God's holy name would be reproached. While the world is struggling with war and poverty and pestilence, God's people will struggle over their sins. That's a huge difference in focus. The focus is totally the opposite of the world. Even now there is an emphasis on prepping and survival among those in the world. They see that there is something coming and they want to protect themselves from it. But they are looking in the wrong place. If they were to read their Bibles with understanding, they would change their focus. Let me read on from Great Controversy. On every hand they hear the plottings of treason and see the active working of rebellion. And there is aroused within them an intense desire, an earnest yearning of soul, that this great apostasy may be terminated and the wickedness of the wicked may come to an end. But while they plead with God to stay the work of rebellion, it is with a keen sense of self-reproach that they themselves have no more power to resist and urge back the mighty tide of evil. They feel that had they always employed all their ability in the service of Christ, going forward from strength to strength, Satan's forces would have less power to prevail against them. Notice the intensity of desire for the apostasy to end and rebellion to cease. That's part of God's plan to get them ready for the heavenly courts. They have been part of the rebellion, but they have repented and turned from it. And their participation in the rebellion has been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. They realize that their own sinfulness and past iniquity has limited their power against Satan. And for this they grieve, and they throw themselves upon the mercy of God. They long for the absolute peace of heaven. Reading on. They afflict their souls before God, pointing to their past repentance of their many sins and pleading the Savior's promise, Let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. Isaiah 27, 5 Their faith does not fail, because their prayers are not immediately answered. Those suffering the keenest anxiety and terror 
and distress. They do not cease their intercessions. They lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel, and the language of their souls is, I will not let thee go, lest thou bless me. To some this experience may seem dreadful, and in some respects it is. But this is a precious experience for God's people. It unites them to Christ in a way that they have never been united with him before. In some small way, they experience the sufferings of Christ. Their agony and their anxiety are God's tools to remove the dross in their characters and put the final touches of perfection upon their characters. They need that experience, and all of it is with war, confusion, turmoil, and bloodshed all around them. There are dangers on every side, but they are miraculously preserved. Now more than ever, they experience the promise that is found in Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. They also cling to another one in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. This experience is the time of Jacob's trouble, referred to in inspiration. The promises of the Bible are their only hope, and they have become more precious than ever to them, and perhaps more precious than they thought possible. The time to immerse yourself in Scripture is now. While heaven is closing the third angel's message, and the seal of God is being placed upon God's people, the time is near when Jesus will step out of the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary where he is ministering his final atonement and declare that it is finished. As we near the end of all things earthly, war is going to dominate the news, and the war in Ukraine is no exception. It has continued to strain the global economy and place more power in the hands of fewer men. The war in Ukraine with Russia has galvanized European unity like never before. What many globalists and internationalists have tried to achieve over the last 20 years or so has very quickly materialized in a matter of a few weeks. All the nations of Europe believe that Russian aggression is illegitimate. And many nations, especially Germany, are scaling up their militaries. Do you think Satan is preparing the whole world to have a world war? But what's more, the remilitarization of Germany led to World War I and World War II. Do you think it will be any different this time? Also, the Pope has been very busy. 
On March 25, he dedicated humanity, and especially Russia and Ukraine, to Mary's Immaculate Heart. This blasphemous mummery is to somehow answer the third secret revealed to the children at Fatima, Portugal, and mitigate the war, especially deter nuclear war. A number of popes have failed to do this, and indeed this third secret to the children at Fatima reveals that unless Russia is dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in a certain way, there will be war, even nuclear war. Satan will make sure that this false prophecy plays out to give the Pope and the Catholic Church more credibility. The Ukrainian President Zelensky, during a phone call with Pope Francis, appealed to the Pope to mediate the crisis. This is just what the Pope wants, but he must be invited by both sides. Russia isn't likely to ask the Pope to mediate if it continues its aggressive attitude. But with Zelensky's public appeal, it does make pressure on Russia. Zelensky also addressed the U.S. Congress. At one point, he switched to English and addressed President Biden directly, saying, I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. And listen to this final statement from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 6, page 395. It reminds me of what is predicted concerning the second beast of Revelation 13. Foreign nations will follow the example of the United States, though she leads out. Yet the same crisis will come upon our people in all parts of the world. Friends, the end is near. We must not be fearful, but we must look up for our redemption draweth nigh. The economic reset, the food shortages, war, pestilence, and catastrophes and disasters will rage in the earth. But the end is not yet. So fortify your soul with the word of God. Give your life over to the Savior now. There is no time to lose. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we stand at the turning point. We see ourselves as unable to do anything about the war. But please give us confidence in God and protect us from fear. Please wrap us in your great arms of love and infuse us with heavenly strength and peace. Help us understand these things deeply and to reform our lives to be in harmony with heaven and with Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou thyself the answer to all my
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Live Out Thy Life Within Me, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. 
If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure to mention the Consecration CD. The following is our Prophetic Intelligence Briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month Column. California should abolish parenthood in the name of equity. If California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. Today's Californians often hold up equity, the goal of a just society completely free from bias, as our greatest value. Governor Gavin Newsom makes decisions through an equity lens. Institutions from dance ensembles to tech companies have publicly pledged themselves to equity, but their promises are no match for the power of parents. Fathers and mothers with greater wealth and education are more likely to transfer these advantages to their children, compounding privilege over generations. As a result, children of less advantaged parents face an uphill struggle, social mobility has stalled, and democracy has been corrupted. More Californians are abandoning the dream. A recent Public Policy Institute of California poll found declining belief in the notion that you can get ahead through hard work. My solution, making raising your own children illegal, is simple. And while we wait for the legislation to pass, we can act now. The rich and poor should trade kids, and homeowners might swap children with their homeless neighbors. Now, I recognize that some naysayers will dismiss such a policy as ghastly, even totalitarian. But my proposal is quite modest, a fusion of traditional philosophy and today's most common political obsessions. In his, quote, Republic, Plato adopted Socrates' sage advice that children be possessed in common, so that no parent will know his own offspring or any child his parents in order to defeat nepotism and create citizens loyal not to their sons, but to society. Today, a policy of universal orphanhood aligns with powerful social trends that point to less interest in family. Californians are slower to marry and are having fewer children. Our birth rate is at an all-time low. My proposal also should be politically unifying, fitting hand-in-glove with the most cherished policies of progressives and Trumpians alike. The left's introduction of anti-racism and gender identity in schools faces a bitter backlash from parents. Ending parenthood would end the backlash, helping dismantle white supremacy and outdated gender norms. Democrats also would have the opportunity to build a new pillar of the safety net, a child-raising system called foster care for all. Over on the right, Republicans are happy to jettison parents' rights in pursuit of their greatest passions, like violating migrant rights. Once you've gone so far as to take immigrant children from their parents and put them in border concentration camps, it's a short walk to separating all Americans from their progeny. Universal orphanhood also dovetails nicely with the pro-life campaign to end abortion rights. In fact, a suggestion from Justice Amy Coney Barrett during a recent case that could overturn Roe 
inspired this column. She posited that abortion rights are no longer necessary because all 50 states now have safe haven laws allowing women to turn their babies over to authorities after birth. My proposal would merely make mandatory such handovers of babies to the state. Perhaps such coercion sounds dystopian, but just imagine the solidarity that universal orphanhood would create. Wouldn't children raised in one system find it easier to collaborate on global problems? Now, I don't expect universal support for universal orphanhood. A few contrarians lost in the empty chasm between American extremes might object to this rational proposal on emotional grounds. They might argue that pursuing your own conception of family is fundamental to freedom. They also may suggest that people don't really want to start or finish at the same point in life. They may even say that what we really desire is what the title orphan of the musical Annie demanded. Quote, I didn't want to be just another orphan, Mr. Warbucks. I wanted to believe I was special. But don't pay those critics any mind, because they just can't see how our relentless pursuit of equity might birth a brave new world. Quote, the Lord holds the parents responsible for the souls of their children. Testimonies on the case of Elder E.P. Daniels, page 27. Next, the end of ATMs in Australia? Thousands of cash machines removed as banks go digital. As Australian banks continue to focus on digital transactions for customers, ATMs and bank branches are disappearing across the country, according to new data. The analysis revealed close to 460 bank branches have shut down across the nation in recent years. And dating back to 2020, approximately 3,800 previously active ATMs have been removed. NSW alone now has 140 fewer in-store banks and almost 300 suburbs don't have a singular ATM to withdraw cash. It is a similar story in Victoria, where 120 branches have permanently closed their doors to customers. Closures have a devastating impact on local communities, Finance Sector Union National Secretary Julia Angrisano said. As Australian banks continue to go digital, ATMs are becoming rapidly redundant according to new data. In NSW alone, NSW now has 140 less in-store banks compared to a few years ago, and almost 300 suburbs across the state don't have a singular ATM to withdraw cash. Jobs are lost, business is impacted, and another local service disappears. The closures have hit hard in regional and rural areas, and for older citizens, Ms. Angrisano added, Another key factor for the branch closures and reduced ATMs is the fact that banks are bringing in a small fortune from daily digital transactions. As Australia accelerates towards a cashless society, fees from either the customer or vendor for online banking have become commonplace. In a modern-day digital world, an estimated 80% of Aussies prefer to bank online. But the remaining 20%, namely the disabled, or those who are not digital savvy, have been left stranded. Tellingly, CBA now has 875 bank branches nationwide, compared to 1,134 in February 2020. Their number of ATMs has reduced to just over 2,000. In 2019, there were over 4,118 ATMs in circulation. Last year, ANZ Head of Distribution, Kath Bray, 
said bank branch closures were a sign of the times, with digital transactions now the primary focus for many. Australia is one of the nations on the leading edge of the cashless societies. They are very controlled. And cashless makes them vulnerable to the no-buy, no-sell law. Quote, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 16, 17 Next, $10 toothpaste, U.S. household goods makers face blowback on price hikes. Colgate Palmolive Company, CL.N, CEO Noel Wallace said last week at an industry conference that the household goods maker sees its new Optic White Pro Series toothpaste as the type of premium product vital to its ability to raise prices, which will help drive profit growth this year. His remarks come when many consumer products companies are hiking prices as much as they can to offset their own rising cost, a trend that could continue due to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, whose economic risks include driving up gasoline prices. So far, retailers and consumers seem largely unfazed by higher prices. But some lawmakers and consumer advocates argue that companies are excessively raising prices in order to fuel profits and return money to shareholders. Quote, We're seeing significant price hikes on virtually every item consumers purchase, said U.S. Representative David Cicilline, who is working on proposed antitrust legislation aimed at bringing down prices. They're imposing real hardships. People are taking things out of their grocery carts because it's too expensive. In the past, major retailers such as Walmart Inc., WMTN, pushed back on price hikes. But now, retailers like Walmart and Target Corp., TGT.N, are mostly going along with them, though they are still trying to undercut rivals and protect their market share when possible. Target said on Tuesday in an earnings call that bumping up pricing is the last lever it pulls when faced with increased cost. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission over the last three months has probed sky-high prices and supply chain disruptions requiring companies including Procter & Gamble, Kraft Heinz Co., KHC.O, Kroger Co., KR.N, and Walmart to turn over internal documents on profit margins, pricing, and promotions. Comments on the inquiry are due March 14th and so far show small grocers angry with having to pay more and receive less of crucial products. Consumers wrote in about being unable to find oatmeal, cereal, and cat food. In an interview with Reuters, Cicilline cited Colgate as an example of a company touting price hikes, making basic items too costly and paying out more to investors. Colgate expects its margins to widen this year due in part to higher prices. It also bought back almost 50% more shares last year, a boon for investors. Raising prices is a key capability for Colgate that will help drive profit growth, Wallace said last week. A Colgate spokesperson said in a statement that the company has a wide portfolio of products at different price points and touted its new $10 toothpaste as the first with 5% hydrogen peroxide with demonstrated efficacy to whiten teeth. 
Consumer goods companies last year started hiking prices in response to rising raw material costs and labor shortages due to the pandemic. Quote, There is incredible appetite for our products, said Katie Dennis, a spokeswoman for the Consumer Brands Association, a trade group for consumer packaged goods companies including Colgate. We make essentials, and there is no option of not delivering. Prices also rose on competing private label items, analysts said. The White House is targeting corporate profits as it grapples with inflation. Bharat Ramamurti, deputy director of the White House's National Economic Council, said there are examples of companies outside of the meatpacking industry which has particularly been in the White House's crosshairs, increasing prices beyond their own climbing cost. Lindsay Owens, executive director of the progressive nonprofit Groundwork Collaborative, named diapers as a category with little competition, paving the way for aggressive price hikes. Kimberly Clark Corp's KMB.N margins took a hit in 2021 due to rising cost. The maker of Huggies Diapers is betting that consumers will buy pricier options made with plant-based material, helping its profits recover, executives said at last week's conference. P&G executives said last week that they expect margins to continue to improve as higher prices hit stores. The company also plans to buy back more stock than originally planned. Quote, many companies are taking advantage of high consumer demand to continue to raise prices when they don't need to, said Jack Gillis, executive director of the Consumer Federation of America, a nonprofit consumer interest group. As long as consumers are willing to pay those prices, there's no incentive to lower them. Some manufacturers and retailers take advantage of people, especially the poor in the current market. Quote, the centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution are all tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. Education, page 228. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.